Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in leadership development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and committed to bringing you ideas and resources that will build your professional development plan. Thanks for listening. If you're a current nonprofit leader or hope to be one, you're in the right place. I'm glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who are really on the cutting edge of our sector. And if you would, do me a favor. Share this episode with one other person so that we can continue to build a global community focused on nonprofit leadership. Well, you're in for another fantastic conversation in this episode. It was with Chris Jackson, who brings great leadership experience as he heads Goodwill Industries of the Southern Piedmont, one of the largest nonprofits in the southeastern United States, running 26 retail stores and employing more than 900 people. And Chris's commitment to his organization and all of the communities he serves is really evident. And what makes this conversation so powerful is the real commitment and personal conviction Chris brings to his leadership. And how thoughtful he's been over the course of his journey from corporate America into nonprofit leadership. In fact, we talk about what he brought from his experience in the for-profit sector and why he made the jump to nonprofit. And, of course, some really powerful leadership strategies he's employed, including staff and board development, how he's built a dynamic organizational culture, and most of all, how he has deployed a strategic vision for goodwill. All this and much more, so don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 111. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources mentioned as well as more information on Chris and the great work he's doing at Goodwill Industries of the Southern Piedmont. Speaking of resources, while you're on our website, make sure you connect with us. Get on our email list so you can get free weekly resources, podcast episodes just like this one, and much more. Perhaps something that we can do to help you build that strategic plan for your nonprofit, maybe re-engage your board of directors, or... Maybe I can help you determine the next step toward your nonprofit leadership through a coaching, training, or one of our unique mastermind programs. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Chris Jackson. Chris, thank you for joining me on the path. Oh, so so good to be with you today. Well, I'm excited about this conversation, Chris. You've had a fantastic leadership journey in the nonprofit sector. Of course, you're doing great work through Goodwill, but I'm also eager to kind of unpack those different stops along the way, what you've learned, and in particular, you know, what will benefit our listener who's thinking about or already on the path to nonprofit leadership. Um, Of all the great things you've done, Chris, is there something you're particularly proud of that maybe a listener could latch on and say, wow, that's something I want to aspire to do as well. Uh, that that is a a great uh, first question, uh, and uh, I, I would say it's really the work we've done uh, here at Goodwill the last few years uh, around purpose um, and culture. Uh, we really uh, needed to make a shift uh, to focus more on long term uh, relational um, uh, type. Uh, services. And what folks were telling us was most important was prosperity. Uh, And so we really just latched onto that. And the last uh, four years, 
it's really been the rallying cry for this organization. Uh, and it's really to help people see possibilities, seize opportunities and prosper. And that idea of prosperity uh, has forced us to, to really and provide the opportunity for us to look at everything we do. Uh, and it's, it's, to me, it's been uh, just really phenomenal. Love that. And, and we'll unpack that prosperity because you've been such a champion for prosperity for everyone. And of course, that embodies what goodwill is all about. And I know that will lead to our kind of headline question in the topic of this episode, how you develop the strategic vision that led to prosperity. Uh, for all that you serve, both internal and external the organization. Before, however, we get to that, Chris, I got to ask you the question. Uh, you are a very busy man, a complex, large organization. For all of our listeners out there, how do you stay organized? Oh, another, another great question. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what, <laughs> um, I, I will tell you the thing that I have found uh, for me uh, to be the most helpful, which is uh, I've got to schedule everything. Uh, I, I, you know, frankly live and die by the calendar. Uh, and I now block time uh, for um, reflection uh, time, nice. frankly, particularly in a, in a, in a COVID uh, environment, but I'll continue this, which is time to just get up and walk around um, uh, time to, um, you know, just, just time to think and kind of back to the reflection piece. So anyway, long story of that is it's the calendar for me. Um, I I also, part of that is uh, having reminders. So, you know, your brain gets, my brain gets, has so you know, it's cluttered with so much information. If I, if I set a reminder for something, I don't have to worry about that, that something anymore until the reminder comes up. So that's my, my primary way for staying organized. Was the pandemic, I guess, did reflection really become a thing for you personally? like all of us, or was that among the things that maybe changed in your routine that you're now carrying forward? Yeah, I I think I always knew the importance of it, but uh, the COVID environment really forced me to to think like, how, how can I make sure that I actually have that time? Um, uh, You know, with Zoom calls, you know, back to back and what have you. So it's one of those things, there's a few things I have that are lessons learned as a response to the result of COVID. That's one of them that I will, I'm going to do my best to, to maintain that. It's been really uh, important and helpful. Yeah. I appreciate your point too, of being proactive with your calendar. And I think so many nonprofit leaders sometimes become only a reactor to their calendar and you're being thoughtful and proactive to stay ahead of this, which is uh, commendable for sure. Um, all right, let's go back to the Chris Jackson journey. You're, you're in corporate America. Tell me about that moment or maybe extended moments when you're like nonprofit uh, might be on my path. What, what caused you to make the jump? Uh, well, it's probably an extended, uh, it was an extended process for me, to be honest with you. You know, I, I spent uh, almost 20 years uh, in a large financial services firm. And um, for the last few of those, five of those years, probably, uh, have been really reflecting on, um, you know, what what is it that I wanted to do? What was I most connected to? All right. Uh, you know, and, and I was a late bloomer, you know, my life experience uh, had me making some decisions that probably should have taken me down a very different path. And one of the things I had experienced at this at this firm was seeing how much they appreciated and valued people and didn't didn't place a judgment 
uh, you know, on, on me and my background. Right. Uh, and so I, I really just felt this really strong connection to do something that was more community based, but that allowed me to take that, those lessons that I, that I learned and that the power that I felt of being supported. And I had no idea what that was going to look like. Um, and, uh, but something, you know, came across my desk that just really connected with me very strongly. And that's, I just I decided to go ahead and make that leap. And then that's how I wound up at, uh, at United Way, which was my first nonprofit uh, opportunity. That's fantastic. And and again, to, to talk about, you know, 20 years on one path, but it's never too late. Obviously, you're a great example of finding that calling, I suppose, uh, whenever it happens. I, I am curious, Chris, because I know you have these conversations as I do with the transition from for-profit to nonprofit. What what things did you take from those 20 years that helped you in nonprofit and or what things did you have to kind of relearn when you made the jump to United Way? Uh, uh, a great, great question. Um, I, I think the things that I took um, that were foundational, but, you know, one was, again, you know, I was I was a leader, had been in leadership roles for a, a good while, and that um, that real focus on the power of people um, and focusing on, regardless of what role I was in, um, on relationships and trust and communication and um, um, and, and people just in general. Uh, so that was a foundational element uh, that, that really helped me. Uh, on the kind of more process side, uh, I think the things that I looked, uh, I learned about um, uh, data, uh, and how to use data to help really drive meaningful decisions was another. Um, right. A third might be, um, and I call it process excellence, uh, which which is you know being able to look at everything that you're doing through a critical uh, critical eye or with a critical eye, uh, and you know have a process to make shifts that make you know help us be better. Uh, so th- those would be uh, maybe the top three. I love that. And obviously you've applied that. And I know it, it continues to impact your strategic leadership at Goodwill. I, I wonder, Chris, because I know, again, you have conversations, perhaps even entertaining hiring people coming from for-profit to nonprofit. I wonder sometimes there is the grass is always greener syndrome. You know, they're sick of <laughs> corporate America and whatever that looks like. But how do you differentiate, I guess, someone like that versus someone who has the genuine calling, I guess, is for lack of a better word, like you did. Have you had to evaluate that in, in the hiring process, maybe, or just in counseling someone? Uh, I, I sure have. Uh, and, you know, I'm uh, trying to be as uh, clear uh, and, you know, honest as I can. You know, there are there are many assumptions about uh, moving into nonprofit, I, I hear, have always heard. Uh, you know, folks who have finished out a, a corporate career, ready to do something different, and they have the assumption that they're going to come work in nonprofit, and maybe you know this is their pre-retirement <laughs> right, uh, role, right. and they're going to maybe they're going to work a little less. Um, you know, and I tell them like, look, you 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 really got to make sure that you're connected to the purpose uh, of the organization and why you want to make this move. Uh, because if you think you're going to work any less, you're mistaken. You're going to work as hard or harder than you ever had. Uh, you know, so many of our nonprofits, um, you know, 
um, you know, resources are a challenge. Right. Uh, and so what you might have been used to uh, in terms of responsiveness um, uh, or capability or capacity, let me say capacity um, in your corporate role, you may or may not have in your nonprofit role. Uh, and then the last thing I talk about is that, yeah, the tax designation is nonprofit, but these are all businesses, right? Different size businesses. Some are small businesses, some are mid, some are large size. The things that are required to operate that business are the same as if you're a for-profit tax designated organization. So well put. And I'm glad you left that up because again, I don't mind the well-intentioned desire to get into nonprofit work, but you're right, Chris, if they're coming in to relax or to step back, um, they're probably not going to succeed. And clearly you knew that you saw that early. I'm sure when you jumped to the United way work and let's talk about that. I would think United way would be a fantastic way to see a community given the broad spectrum of activity programs and funding. But you tell me, I guess, what did you take from that foray into nonprofit, particularly through not, uh, through United way? Well, I think for me, it was uh, really a great transition. Uh, you know, at, at that time, United Way was a, a pretty a sizable organization and really was, in fact, utilizing many of the, the same business practices that, that I was used to, some of which I described earlier. And so uh, I felt like it was it would be and it, it and it was. Uh, a way for me to really leverage those those things that I had some experience with. And then on the other side, just a great, great opportunity to learn. Um, I, you know, uh, previous to that transition had been involved on the board and a few other organizations, but you really just don't have uh, a real understanding of the challenges, opportunities, and the work of nonprofits in our community. Um, as, as much as an organization like United Way. So, so my transition to, to that organization was, was perfect because I got to really, again, leverage those things that I had some skills and experience in, but also really learn uh, about the nonprofit organizations in our, in our community. Uh, and that was my role. My role was uh, initially um, supporting all of those nonprofits and, and um, leading a team that uh, supported the grant process. It sounds like you obviously grew in your appreciation for the nonprofit community, not that you didn't already have it, but anything surprise you, I guess, once you now were able to be on the inside working with nonprofits? Uh, so, I, so I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, some, some of us, I'll put myself in that camp that, that have uh, some assumptions about nonprofits. So uh, it wasn't to the degree that I shared earlier where I thought I was, you know, making a transition, you know, pre-retirement kind of thing. That wasn't <laughs> right. It, it, for right. me, it was, it was purpose driven. At the same time, I really, I did not have uh, a full appreciation of the level of um, agility, uh, flexibility, resilience, uh, and creativity that, uh, you know, our, our nonprofit colleagues uh, have and demonstrate every day uh, as a way to run these businesses and achieve the you know impact that uh, you know that they're they're trying to in terms of supporting you know individuals families in our community so that that was certainly um, that certainly was eye-opening for me yeah and I'm glad you lifted up because you and I both have lots of colleagues that 
and I, I hearken back to your great quote of a few minutes ago, it's just a tax designation, right? But the complexity of the businesses these nonprofit leaders are running is, you know, perhaps just as complex as anything in the for-profit world with less resources to do it. And sounds like you've got a great orientation to exactly that. Yeah, I, I uh, completely, completely agree. And uh, as I mentioned, it was, um, it, it was almost, uh, you know, nothing's perfect, but uh, it, it was a really great transition, uh, you know, for me and lots of, uh, lots of learnings that I've, you know, that I've been able to um, appreciate even more today than maybe I, I realized at the time. Well, and I was going to ask you about that as you look back on the, that positive experience. Obviously, the kind of federated organizations like United Way or arts federations like ASC are struggling. You know, workplace giving is is perhaps in decline. And I wonder what you see as the future for organizations like that. I guess, are they going to have to pivot into new types of uh, structures or approaches? Or how would you kind of reflect back on organizations like the good work you did through United Way? Yeah, I uh, actually that's been uh, a, a an opportunity for a long time, and I, I'll just give you a little bit of context as it relates to my United Way experience. So I was with United Way for a little more than three years, uh, and you know the, the first uh, first year was um, just absolutely fantastic. But uh, you know this United Way, as you know, and many others do, um, you know had had some challenges uh, back in the late two thousands. There was a there was a you know a scandal um, uh, involving the the CEO and the board, and uh, at the same time, or just subsequent to that, we had um, a a you know a, a, a big recession, and so the combination of uh, the result of that those issues and the community's trust waning for a period of time, right. and the recession, that in my mind. Uh, really began what you just described. We're still dealing with today, um, right? Right. Which is there's been a shift in corporate giving, um, or in the way that corporations engage their team members to give. Um, individuals are giving differently, uh, and so even back then, uh, you know, we were talking about the need to shift to to um, more of what is the value add on the impact side of things. What are the things that a United Way, as an example, can uniquely bring to the table in terms of convening uh, um, and, and other uh, techniques, collective impact, uh, for example. Uh, the fund development is hugely important because those local small, you know, local nonprofits, uh, that's a big way for them to be funded. But right. it's these other things that are becoming even more important today than they were then, and uh, so that, that's not that's not a new a new phenomenon. It's just something that I think has uh, been elevated uh, in in recent years. Yeah, and that's a good description. And it, it unfortunate here in the Charlotte region for our listeners outside that there was that combination of economic conditions scandal, if you will, or certainly some media scrutiny that created problems. But hopefully, these organizations will find ways to continue to engage because as you know, Chris, better than any, the public doesn't often know about some of those sectors within the nonprofit community that are serving populations that perhaps uh, are very much in need, but the awareness level is fairly low. Yeah, I think that, I think that's right. Uh, I also think that, 
you know, we have, we have, and when I say we, kind of the nonprofit sector, um, and me personally, for sure, uh, and us at Goodwill, um, in more recent years, much more of an appreciation for the need uh, to uh, be more focused on neighborhoods and communities uh, and to be co-creating solutions. Right. Um, one of the, you know, I was talking about a shift that we've had here uh, and not unique to Goodwill, which is, you know, we don't have the answers, nor should we. And right. moving from that, that more like, here's what you need to do because we know best, which has never been, you know, really the best way, uh, but at least an acknowledgement of that. And no, nope, we're here to partner and support and co-create. Um, and so I think uh, if you if you look at what's happening now, there's much more of a focus on that and that needs to continue, uh, absolutely needs to continue. Yeah, I love that. And again, obviously you brought it to your current leadership, that perspective, and we'll talk more about it. Um, let me ask you though, from a career planning perspective, again, a lot of listeners are pondering, they're kind of climbing the ladder in nonprofit leadership. So you had a good experience at United Way. Tell me about, though, how you first assessed the opportunity to join Goodwill. Uh, to, oh, with Goodwill. Okay. Well, so, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, my, my life experience um, as somebody who, uh, you know, had some challenges when I was a young man. I didn't initially uh, finish high school, uh, go back and get my GD, didn't initially finished my first go around at college right? Uh, and really understanding the, the power and feeling, uh, I should say feeling the power of being in an organization and surrounded by people that didn't place a judgment on me for that, for those things that really helped provide opportunities uh, and access. Uh, when I learned about Goodwill, uh, which I learned about Goodwill from my time at United Way, I, okay. I, you know, I, yeah. I didn't know much about Goodwill right. uh, until that until I was in that role, um, and that is what this organization is about. Uh, again, you know, we weren't necessarily talking about it at that point, but it was about access. It was about opportunities and possibilities, and not placing judgment on others. And uh, when I found out about the the at the core what this organization was about, I said to myself, "That is where I want to be." I don't nice. really care what I don't care what role it is, <laughs> right? Uh, to be quite honest with you, I, I, I at that point there was not an aspiration to be leading the organization. There was just a connection to the purpose at its core of the organization, um, and so uh, I pretty pretty early on realized this was where I wanted to be, and just you know began to share that that was something I'd be interested in. Um, and you know, one thing led to another and, and, uh, had an opportunity to join the organization. It's been uh, a little over 10 years now. I love that. And, and frankly, not many have the opportunity to have such a personal mission connection. I love how you're continuing to pay it forward now through your organization. You're helping many young Chris Jacksons, aren't you? And, and I guess, did you have help back in those difficult days of high school and college? Uh, did were there organizations that were helpful to you, or is it perhaps because you didn't have the help you maybe needed that now you're so driven to help others through goodwill at this day? Yeah, I, I didn't really uh, not not uh, in in high school or uh, in college. Um, when that really started happening was uh, at this organization, this financial services firm that I spent so long at, and it's uh, you know people don't 
often see of large, I think about large, uh, organ, large corporate organizations having that kind of environment, but this one did. Uh, and then subsequent to that, you know, I, I certainly had uh, individuals who are, you know, I'd consider mentors. Uh, I also had, you know, I know I had people who were um, looking out for me that I didn't even know were looking out for me. <laughs> right, uh, right. So it, it happened a little later in life for me. Um, but the power of it is what really I'm trying to share, uh, which is I, I know what it's like to have that environment in what, whatever way that that is manifested. Um, it's just, you know, you can really achieve anything if you, ha if you have that kind of support. Well, let me ask you this, Chris, for our listeners, you know, that maybe somewhere not close to a goodwill or even our international listeners, maybe give us your elevator speech. What exactly is goodwill? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. I mean, again, at the end of the, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is help people uh, prosper as defined by them. So what is it that is going to allow um, an individual and their family uh, to really thrive? Uh, and our role in that is to, to help them navigate uh, their road to that. And we, we focus on helping people uh, build skills in specific areas that will help them from a career perspective. Uh, we help them figure out how to remove obstacles and get over challenges that may be getting in their way. Uh, and we help them build, um, you know, the, the capital and the network and the relationships uh, that will help them achieve whatever that goal is, um, uh, you know, over time. And we, we talk about family sustaining employment based on your goals. What does that look like? And let us partner with you to help you achieve that. Well, and of course, for those here in this community, your Goodwill Opportunity Campus is such a fantastic illustration of what I, I would describe as the wraparound services you provide everyone you serve through your programs and activities and kind of mentor training and all that. And you, you came to the organization, Chris, you know, and I think immediately had an impact through strategic leadership opportunities. I, um, did you, and, and I guess you, you, you came to an organization that by all external measure was certainly successful, but it, it sounds to me like you, quickly began to see opportunities to get even better. So I wonder, maybe speak to that as you arrived and then ultimately, of course, became the CEO in 2017. Yeah, I think that uh, I had just a wonderful opportunity as I joined the organization. Uh, and that's because my, my role uh, was actually to facilitate the uh, strategic planning process and think about you know the systems of the organization from an or, uh, organizational development standpoint, but the strategic planning process allowed me the opportunity to hear the voices of all of our different constituents and stakeholders from you know the, the our, our team, my colleagues, our board leadership, uh, members of the community, uh, and I was able to help pull that together in a way and share it in a way with uh, our leadership and board so that they could begin to think and we could begin to think about what, what needed to change. Cause you are right. I mean, this, this organization at that point had been around uh, for you know 45 years or so, it helped tens of thousands of people. 
uh, a great community resource. And so it wasn't, it was more about how to elevate that work. Um, you know, one of, one of my favorite books is, uh, is Good to Great. Uh, and back then I was talking about art. Maybe we're great. If folks think we're great. That's fantastic. But how do we be amazing? Right. So how do we go from great to amazing? It was just how do we elevate? <laughs> um, and so um, it really was from the voices of those different constituency uh, groups um, that led to the strategic vis visioning um, that created this campus. Uh, and I tell people all the time, uh, I still have the handwritten notes uh, from uh, one of the first uh, strategy sessions that we have, uh, that we had that describe the Opportunity Campus. I mean, people wrote a headline and uh, folks wrote a story to go against that headline. And I have, I have those, I have those, those notes. Wow. Um, and every, every once in a while, I look back at them and say, wow, that the, the power of one listening uh, and then two uh, being able to, to, you know, to process that and say, well, what does that mean for us? Um, and, and be able to see that actually come to fruition. It's been just amazing. I love that. And, and I guess it would have been easy to kind of brush that off as, all right, that was a nice strategic dreaming session, but you must have sensed something quickly that there is opportunity here. And I wonder though, Chris, how did you face some, I guess, complacency from some board members or leaders who are like, come on, Chris, everything's fine. Why, why are we pushing to get to amazing? How did you break through that? You know, again, if there was any of that, uh, contentment that we're, Hey, we're fine just as we are. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, I, there, we, I didn't really have too much of that. Uh, to be honest with you. And I think the reason is uh, back to what I was sharing in terms of process, you know, we, we did, uh, I, I did personally a, a lot of interviews, individual group. Um, and I think we, we created the environment where it was okay to, um, to, to think about things a little differently. Again, it wasn't a critical, like, what are we not doing right? It was more about like, what can we do to really be amazing? Nice. You, you put, if you put in my experience, if you put something out like that to people who care about what you do, in this case, our, our leadership team and our board, um, then it allows them to, to dream. And I think it, again, in my experience, um, you know, you have a little less of the, like, why do we need to do anything differently? So I, I think there, I think that process allowed for that. You rallied a, a, a positive spirit, didn't you? And, and yeah. with, with yeah. opportunity and potential, that's a great way, it would seem to me, to build a strategic visioning process. Let me ask you about that. Again, a lot of nonprofit leaders are going to, like you, have their new start at an organization. How long did it take, Chris, would you say, to do this process? And maybe what were the headlines? It sounds like there was a lot of listening, interviews, focus groups, or whatever, but maybe you could walk us through at a high level what the process was like. Yeah, I, uh, I will say what wasn't a, it wasn't a short process. I mean, it, uh, <laughs> it took some time. <laughs> didn't it? <laughs> it, uh, it, it definitely, definitely took some time. And, um, you know, so if you, if you, you know, really started with, uh, okay, you know, we had a strategic plan in place at that time and it had been in place for a while. So there was at least an acknowledgement that, you know, it was time to, to look at the plan. Um, um, then the, kind of, all right, so what, you know, what's going to create 
the best environment? Uh, what kind of information do we need? Um, and so uh, beginning to collect that, um, you know, the interviews that I spoke of, you know, then, then uh, you know, holding, um, you know, some strategy sessions uh, uh, with our board and leadership team, and then socializing some of what we came up with to see how that connected right. uh, to those that we had asked the question early on. Uh, so, you know, I, I, we used back then a pretty traditional planning process. Um, and I think, you know, all in all, um, you know, it, it probably was a, a, a year. Um, and then some of the shifts that resulted uh, were very clear, actually. Uh, and they were things like, um, you know, moving from transactional to relational, uh, mo moving from a model of job placement to family sustaining employment, right? Right. Uh, are some of the, you know, there's a few others, but those were some of the bigger ones. And then using those shifts, and that's how we communicated them as shifts to say, okay, if these are the shifts that we all agree need to happen, wh what do we need to do, right? And then so the plan was built uh, around around that. Um, and, and so that, that's how I would describe that process. Yeah, I love that. And all right, but again, if so I'm a nonprofit leader, you're telling me, Chris, I need to allow for a year. How, how would you realistically, because I think sometimes you know, organizations are trying to speed things up. All right, well, let's just do this. <laughs> Worst case would be like, let's do it over the weekend as a retreat and try to get it done. But I guess you're cautioning against rushing a process to do it right. I, I yes, I, I I would say if you if you really, I mean, you know, right is depending on what's right for your organization. Where are right. you in your right. life cycle? Uh, your organization and its life cycle, you know, how, how broad and deep do you need to go? Uh, we, we just, we needed, uh, you know, a, a pretty significant, we needed something new. <laughs> uh, so for us, yes. Um, you know, if it's, if it's a little bit more of validating some things that you uh, directionally, which you already have, that's going to take less time. And, and I will share, uh, you know, we have subsequently moved from kind of the more traditional planning process that I described, although some of the foundational elements are the same, to more of something uh, that, you know, we call real-time planning, which just means, yeah, we, we've got we've got strategic uh, themes, um, we've got direction, we have, we have goals that are multi-years, but the real-time allows us to, to be more agile, so we're, we're reviewing and shifting constantly and not, not held to um, you know, this is the plan and we just got to make sure we're executing on it. It's like, how does the plan change over time? So we've moved to that model over the last couple of years, which has been very, was very helpful, uh, particularly uh, as a result of COVID. I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Talk about a, a chance to test your real-time planning structure, right? You had, a, you had a pandemic to manage it. I guess, Chris, maybe elaborate a little bit more on what does that look like? Does that mean you know, instead of these long range plans and you meet once a year, would, would were, were, were these planning activities now more accelerated, more frequent? What did that look like real time? Yeah, real, real time. Uh, essentially, they're more frequent. Uh, again, the foundational elements are the same in terms of, you know, um, getting feedback from your stakeholders and constituent different constituent groups, um, you know, looking at, um, uh, you know, using data to help inform kind of direction setting. Uh, I think the, the real and then and then coming up with, 
the kind of the, I call them the big rocks in terms of what are the major themes and how do you describe those themes as a guidepost, a really guidepost. The real shift is we're we're looking at those things uh, all the time. I mean, all of our metrics are related to those. Um, you know, in our organization, every quarter we've got a a focused discussion about what's happening, what shifts do we need to make, um, and so the real time in part is uh, related to the frequency by which we're looking at those things and the willingness to make shifts nice um, when they need to be made. And that, that could be stopping something Yeah, because <laughs> uh, yeah. you, you know, as well as I do, sometimes the best strategy is to say no or to stop. Right. <laughs> um, or it could be starting something or making a shift. So yeah, it's really more the frequency of, of, of looking and the willingness to, to make adjustments. So the, the you know, the, we do have, uh, you know, four or five year goals. You know, those goals today um, look a little different than they did when we created the plan two years ago because right. we've made shifts. Right? And you continue to look at it literally on a quarterly, if not more frequent basis, so you can make real time adjustments. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I love that. And I do want to go back to, again, the headline that you articulate so well, this strategic visioning, which at Goodwill, you saw it manifest itself in this beautiful opportunity campus. But how'd you do that, Chris? <laughs> Let me ask you the, the question. A lot of organizations have fun visioning exercises, retreats and all that, but you took it from vision to reality. What were the keys to making it happen? Yeah, I, I think for us, um, and as I reflect back, I think the, the con having our um, leadership um, both staff leadership and board leadership involved from the very beginning, from the very beginning, right? Created uh, an ownership, <laughs> right? A, a strong personal connection to each of those individuals and then those teams collectively. Um, it wasn't a vision that was cast on by one person. Um, or even just a few people. This was a, a vision that was cast by, uh, you know, a team of folks who came together. So to me, that's number one, right. because once right. there's that level of connection to something, uh, uh, there's an, you know, there's an automatic, like, I'm going to do everything in my power to help make this happen. Uh, and so that it wasn't just top that, down, right, Chris, it wasn't like you were, it wasn't like you were pushing this by yourself top down. You had no. the whole team engaged. Yeah. Um, and I, I think the, um, well, of course now, you know, just uh, to be fully transparent, I, I was not leading the organization at that time. I was right. part of the leadership team. I led the, the planning process, uh, but we, you know, we had a, a, a wonderful leader at that point who was, um, you know, just as much as everybody else engaged, supportive, uh, and, and willing to, to do whatever it took to make it happen. So one thing I'll add here, uh, Patton, is that, um, and, you know, every, we all lead differently. Uh, so I'll just share my, you know, how, how I lead. I often, particularly when I uh, had the opportunity to, to step into this role, Chris, what's your vision? Chris, what's your vision? Where do you <laughs> want us to go? Right. Uh, I, I will help us get there, but I want to hear from you. And that's a, you know, I do that too, right? <laughs> Uh, Great but point. my, 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 the thing that I have found to be most helpful is that it's not about my vision. I can certainly articulate what I believe, which I did, 
what I what I hoped for, which I did. But the 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 power of the strategic visioning that we've been talking about is it's the collective. Um, so as a leader, thinking about what what how to organize, how to what kind of information do we do we uh, do we share uh, that helps us come to that that collective vision um, that's going to help us, you know, um, be the most impactful organization we can be. Um, so I, I just share that from my you know my personal experience. Uh, love that, and that's such an interesting uh, and important I think distinction that you're right. I wonder if a lot of nonprofit leaders expect that or they feel the pressure that I have to articulate our vision. And it sounds like, Chris, you made it collective from the get-go. This You're going to be the spokesperson, right? But you very much want everyone's insight and contribution to what that vision is. Yes, absolutely. I think that's um, to your question about how things like the Goodwill Opportunity Campus come together. That's, that's how they come together. Yeah. Excellent. It's a team sport. You helped coach <laughs> or you were on the staff and became the head coach, but you made it a team sport. And in fact, speaking of the team, you've been very good about developing the relationship with your board. And I wonder if you could speak to what are the keys in your mind to effective kind of CEO board relations? Couldn't, couldn't understate the importance of uh, strong relationships uh, with uh, with the board collectively and individually. And I'll just start with that. Yep, uh, the yep. foundation for me is relationships. <laughs> um, that's, you know, in every other part of our lives, that's how we build trust. Um, that's how we, uh, you know, are able to, to see commonalities. That's where we're able to see differences and learn from one another. So I just, but, you know, I start with the foundation. It's the rela- Even before somebody's part, you know, part of, part of the board, uh, it's, you know, do we have a relationship? Do we know one another? Um, how well do we know another? Are we, are we, are we connected to the, to the same things? Are we going to be able to challenge each other to get better? So I'll start with that. And then I think, um, you have to be very, very intentional about engagement. Um, and I'm using engagement in the broader sense, okay. uh, because I think, you know, once you, uh, find, folks who are connected to the purpose mission of the organization, which to me is number one. Then secondly is, um, you know, they're going to want to be engaged. They're going to want to be able to know that they're adding value and you can't assume uh, that that's happening. You've got to ask questions. You've, you've got to adjust, um, you know, the way you share information um, uh, and make sure that, uh, you're sharing information that allows them to connect in the way that I'm, I'm describing. Um, you have to make sure you know their interests and um, find a way to connect their interests with the needs of the organization. Uh, and I think if you do those things, you get a board who is uh, very supportive, will ask really tough questions, but will ask those questions from a point of view, which is understanding so that they can be helpful to help work through whatever business problem or opportunity you have. Yeah, I'm struck by several good points there, but clearly you look at your board as not just a collective, but as individuals. Uh, Do you, uh, are you very proactive in making sure that you have one-on-ones with each board member? Again, I guess I'm thinking if there's a new executive director in our audience, has that been your kind of style to make sure you get to know them 
literally one by one? Yeah, 100%, 100%, um, one-on-one. And I try to do continue that, um, you know, during their, their board engagement. Um, I, I try to meet individually with every board meeting, um, every board member on some consistent basis. Um, and so I, you know, that's, that's where your relationships are strengthened and, and you hear some of the things I'm talking about that you might not hear, um, you know, in, in other places, uh, sure. you know, the other thing I do on the, uh, we do on the board engagement side is, um, again, it's yes, I have a responsibility as, you know, the CEO of the organization. Uh, but we, the only way that this organization, um, you know, can run effectively is by, you know, that leadership from the board, but the leadership from the staff. And so, you know, our, not just our senior team, actually, you know, our uh, level of management that we have attend board meetings, um, you know, they are encouraged to meet individually with board members as well. Um, to Interesting. Again, build those relationships. Um, and some of the insight that is gained through not just my meetings, but others meetings, uh, with board members helps um, inform the engagement that I described. I could not applaud that more. And I cringe and I know you've seen it too, but I've heard executive directors tell me that, no, I'm the only one that, you know, goes to the board meetings. I'm the only one that interacts with the board members. And I, I just think that's a missed opportunity. And it sounds like, again, you're building and, and gaining from the collective intelligence from your, your team also interacting with board leaders. Yeah. And there's, and there's other, there's other benefits to it as well. Uh, it helps with the development of the team. Yes, um, indeed. So, yeah. So I, I think there's, and there's others that we could talk about too, but I, you know, so anyway, that that's my approach. Uh, I, and I, it, it's my approach because I've, I've uh, seen and felt, uh, you know, the power of it. Chris, you you, you advocate for culture, you know, and you've in fact, continue to build on the culture at Goodwill with your team throughout the organization. All right. But what is that good culture that you have uh, identified and, and how do you make it better? That's a great question. So uh, my, um, how I would describe our culture is one, everybody in this organization uh, is, is connected to a common purpose, right? That I, right. That I described earlier. I think let's just start there because that allows uh, folks to really connect and understand like what I'm doing. Here's the, here's kind of the, it's, there are things that are important to me. You know, I want to have an environment where I'm learning and thriving uh, and all the things we aspire, which is always a continuous improvement opportunity, right? But I, I see the thing that's bigger than just me. So, uh, that allows me to interact differently, to listen differently. So I, let's just start with start with that. Um, I think uh, we've got a strong spirit of collaboration, both internally and externally. Uh, one of the things I talk about, you know, all the time is uh, we have so many resources in this community. We're, we're actually not lacking from resources, in my opinion. Right. Um, right. They're just not all connected and aligned. Um, as well as maybe they could be. And so collaboration is, is another uh, aspect I would, I would share. Uh, and I think um, I'll just call it, you know, um, a, a desire to 
be the best in terms of creating and supporting and being as impactful as we can be. So that's everything from um, being willing to um, look at things uh, that maybe aren't as they should be and willing to make changes. Uh, and I think being innovative and creative uh, and, and just thinking outside the box would be another, uh, another aspect uh, that I would share. Yeah, I love that. Did you articulate those kind of core values, I suppose, right? And that you by stating it, and I'm, I'm, I would bet if I talked to your leadership team, they would probably all echo a similar vocabulary, which helps you create the culture, right? There's more than just those words, but it's embodied in those activities. It, I'm guessing, Chris, that that strongly influences um, your thought process when you hire somebody. Is there is there any kind of go-to criteria you're especially looking for when you're hiring, particularly at the leadership level? Yeah, yeah, there is. And uh, I do want to um, add to something that you just said, which is, well, one, I, I would certainly hope that if you talk to uh, anybody um, in our organization, they, they would, they may not use exactly the same words that I use, but uh, they the they spirit would, of their they, words. The spirit of it would, the spirit of it would be the same. That's one. And the second thing is, you know, uh, my my view on culture is, um, we we are as leaders responsible for creating the environment that lets those things that will most allow us to move forward our purpose, our mission, however you want to describe it, because uh, you you can't you can't dictate culture, right? I mean, I can describe something that doesn't mean that's actually what's happening. Um, and so it's about the, are you creating the environment that allows those real positive things to, to um, you know, to happen. So what, what I, how I described it, those are things that are happening because I think hopefully we're creating that environment. And so when I'm, when I'm thinking about uh, talent um, I, I always, again, I'm going to go back to the thing. I've been hopefully pretty consistent. I start with the foundation. The foundation is like, are you connected to the purpose of this organization? And is that clear? Because particularly at senior level, uh, there are or really any level, but since you asked me about senior level, sure. there are so many talented people um, and a lot of people could do the job, you know, uh, right. in terms right. of their, their specific skills, their specific experience. To me, it's the strength of the connection to the purpose and also the how they go about doing their work that is most important to me uh, in terms of being able to, um, to, you know, to elevate our work. Uh, yeah, so I, I, that's, what I, that's what I look at. It's a great distinction. And, and you said it well, because a lot of people might have the requisite skills, right? Uh, but there's that nuance of how they do it and of course how they would fit in and, and you've worked too hard to build the culture you have. And I'm sure you want to protect that with the right kind of people that will join. Um, Chris, fantastic advice across the board in all elements of nonprofit leadership. Um, having been on the journey and I don't want to talk about it like you're done, you got a lot more to do, right? <laughs> so I want you to, I want you to keep going. But as you look now at this journey, you've been on, I guess, how would you advise someone else who might come to you and literally say, Chris, I'm thinking about nonprofit leadership. What would you advise them? Uh, I, I would start with, um, 
one, think critically about why you want to, why you're interested in, in nonprofit leadership. Like Good what, point. what is it that would just start with that? Like, and, and, and talk to some folks who may challenge you in a good way uh, about how to think about that. Uh, so that at the core, you're, you know, it's the, it's the right decision. Uh, then secondly, I would say, if you're not already, uh, you know, become as educated about what you're thinking about uh, as possible. It's just right. like anything else that you would do. Uh, you're going to go and you're going to talk to people and you're going to do your research and you're going to, you're going to challenge yourself, you know, some of the assumptions that we made, that we described earlier. Um, and, and then thirdly, while you're doing that, uh, once you're sure that that's what it is, you know, make sure folks know that that's something you're interested in um, and be willing, be willing to maybe take an opportunity that isn't the one that you first thought you might, that you're interested in because there's many paths and there's no direct path. That's <laughs> so, so good. Many paths. Um, and uh, sometimes it's the one that you least expected. That's going to give you, uh, it's going to connect to your, your purpose much more strongly than maybe you even envisioned and, and um, give you the knowledge that will help you and ultimately get to where you want to be. It's wonderful. Chris, fantastic advice uh, added to uh, great ideas and, and resources and thought processes. So I'm, I'm delighted and grateful for your time for our listeners. If I can ask for one more parting gift, as you know, I ask every gift, I mean, every guest to identify maybe a book that's been meaningful to you or one you might recommend to someone kind of on this professional journey. Yeah, I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you three. I'm gonna start with the I'm gonna start with the first one that came to mind. <laughs> Good. It's been, it's been around for a long time. It's called It's Your Ship. Uh, management techniques from the the best damn ship in the Navy. That's literally the title. I love that. I got it on the shelf behind me. Good for you. Oh, oh do you? Okay. You <laughs> yeah, love, that. love it. All right. Yes, so that's yes. all about people. That's all about engagement of your team. It's all yeah. about it's a absolute if you're if you're in leadership or interested in leadership. Uh, that let's start with that one. Uh, the other one, the other two, good to great, which I alluded to earlier, and there's a there's a, a subsequent to that, which is a good to great for the social sectors. Yes, indeed. Uh, and then the third one's a more recent one I read a, a few years ago, um, and I actually still got have it right here because I, I use it often. It's called Blue Ocean Strategy. Yes, sir. Um, yeah, um, and those, those so those are my those are my top three. Fantastic. Hey, everybody needs some summer reading, right, Chris? So they, they could add any of these to their list and not be uh, bad off. Um, Chris, where can people find out more about you and the, the great work you're doing at Goodwill? Uh, yeah, the, the best way uh, to um, to learn about us, get connected with, with us is, is our website, which is uh, goodwillsp.org. Again, goodwillsp. Dot org, uh, all the information that, about our organization, about the, the services that we offer, our leadership team, our board, uh, all of that is on the website. Um, and there's many different ways to connect with us uh, directly. Um, and of course, you can follow us on social media uh, on uh, as well. Uh, but we'd, we'd love to hear from uh, anybody who might in, be interested in learning more. Fantastic. Chris, thank you again for joining me on the path. It, it was my pleasure. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Chris as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide your professional journey and help you be a more effective and visionary nonprofit leader. Don't forget about the show notes. They are available on our website, PattonMcDowell.com, where you can find out more about Chris, all of the services and programs Goodwill offers to its communities, and, of course, more of the resources Chris and I discussed. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. And if you haven't already, you can subscribe. Just go to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll see links to Apple, Spotify, and all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks again for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now. And keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path.